Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship, where we get to talk horses. We're your hosts. I'm Renee Hare. And I'm John Hare. Thanks for listening and sharing our horsemanship journey. The 2017 Road to the Horse competition was an all-female affair. One of the contestants, Vicki Wilson, came from New Zealand. If Vicki wasn't such a humble person, she could brag that she won the competition with one hand literally tied behind her back. That's right. She dislocated her shoulder on the very first day of competition and still managed to uh, pull it off with an arm in a sling. There are a lot of video clips on YouTube about pieces of the competition. And one of the things that led us to want to have Vicki on the show was her bodywork clinic held during the competition where she took a couple of horses, rode them around, and showed how their body aches affected their behavior. Then she gave them, what would you call it, body manipulation, Renee? I think so, much like a chiropractor would do to a person. An adjustment, and then she showed the difference. And in less than an hour, it was a very dramatic change in these horses. It was an amazing before and after, yeah. We wanted to have Vicki on the show. It was a little bit difficult connecting with her in New Zealand. You know, it's a day ahead over there. Almost a full day. <laughs> but we got a hold of her and talked to her through Skype. And so here is Vicki Wilson on the Woe Podcast. We're speaking with 2017 Road to the Horse champion Vicki Wilson from New Zealand. How are you doing this afternoon, Vicki? Very good, thank you. We've followed along with your journey through Road to the Horse this year, but we hadn't, quite frankly, heard of you before Road to the Horse. We would like to get a little bit of background on your horsemanship journey, if we could. Yeah, definitely. So I was at Equitana in November of last year, and which has come from Europe originally, and it's now hosted in Australia and New Zealand, and uh, Dan James of Double Dan Horsemanship. We worked with him a little bit at Equitana, and he asked if I'd be interested in doing a colt starting competition. And I said, sure, I'll give anything a go. And he said, well, somebody somebody will give you a ring in the next week or two. And Trudy Bland of Road to the Horse did a week later. And I hadn't heard of Road to the Horse at that stage. So it was a quick Google, find all the information, <laughs> and say, yep, definitely keen, I'll give it a go. I noticed that you, you have a company called Three Sisters with your two sisters. Is your family just always been around horses? Yeah, so we've created the company Wilson Sisters for the three of us. We show jump mostly. Amanda, my younger sister, and I both show jump to World Cup level. And so show jumping is our passion, but we've also been hugely involved with the wild horses in New Zealand. Uh, we had a TV series covering uh, the wild horses of New Zealand that we um, helped muster and bring in and tame. And then we went to America, uh, worked with the Mustangs. And then just recently last year, we were in Australia working with the wild Brumbies. So working with wild horses and unbroken horses is a huge passion. We absolutely love it and giving animals and horses a chance. But the show jumping and the competitive side of it is uh, what we really do. Let me see if I can butcher that name. It's is it the Kaimana? No, not even going to come close, John. <laughs> Kaimanoa. Kaimanoa. It means eat the wind. Uh-huh. Oh. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about those horses? So they're originally from the World War, where a couple of horses were released by the army 
because they had strangles. Mm-hmm. And the majors had told them that they had to go out and shoot the horses. And so in the middle of the night, the soldiers went out and released them into the back of the army fields. Mm. And the surviving ones created the wild New Zealand horse uh, yeah. with some local horses. So they're pretty amazing animals. And when you get to go up there and, and see them in the wild when they're galloping free on the plains, it's pretty majestical and amazing. Are those the pictures of those horses on your website? Yeah, we have pictures of uh, the Brumbies, the Mustangs and the Kaimanawas. Wow. And what makes them unique? Just that they're incredibly wild. They're mustered differently than both the Mustangs and the Brumbies. Obviously, the Mustangs that you take are already in government holding yards. Mm -hmm. The Brumbies are put into a station, so they're given to a big farm to acclimatise the fences and food, whereas the Kaimanawas are mustered by helicopter. The next day, they're put into stock trucks and delivered to your property, so you're getting a very, very fresh (laughs) wild horse. (laughs) that doesn't know what fences are, they don't know what water out of buckets and people are, you're really working with a true wild horse. Very challenging, yeah. Yeah, no, it's been pretty amazing. You get a call from Tootie that invites you to road to the horse. So you come to the States. Did you have any prep before? I mean, did you watch the show? Did you have a plan set up on how you were going to tackle the cult starting challenge? Yeah, so I obviously found out uh, early December that I was going to be in Road to the Horse once I accepted. So we did a little bit of Google, obviously having the double Dan, Dan Steers in Australia and Dan James in America uh, was very helpful. Mm-hmm. And December, January, February is our busiest time of year in New Zealand. So we're the opposite from America and that that's our main show jumping season. So we didn't actually have time to start any horses uh, prior to the lead up to Road to the Horse. So I've been starting and breaking in horses. I think I did my first one when I was uh, 10 years old. So it's kind of been there in the whole journey. But we didn't do any Pacific horses in the lead up. I went two weeks before Road to the Horse. I went to Australia to Dan Steers to start two horses that he brought in for me. And I did watch a lot of previous Road to the Horse footage and study it. And then obviously we had our biggest competition uh, in the Southern Hemisphere the week just before Road to the Horse. So we competed there. And then I flew out the Monday morning of Road to the Horse and landed in America. Was your approach much different than the other horsewomen that you competed against? Oh, definitely. That walking in there and being an English competitor, English saddle, Jodfers, helmet, uh, definitely stood me apart. Uh, I went there in the sense that it's all about the horse for me. Leaving a horse that was happy and confident was incredibly important to me. And Kentucky, the horse I chose, he wasn't originally in my first pick. I think when I watched them come off the track on that first day and interact in the yards, I think beside number 12, I wrote boring. There was nothing... There was nothing that stood out about him. And so how did you develop that relationship over the three days? Yeah, so the next morning, obviously, the uh, Wranglers moved them out in the indoor arena. And we got to watch them trot and canter and interact with each other. And Kentucky, in the way that he moved, stood out quite quickly. He was just very relaxed, probably a lot more English in the way he moved throughout his body in the trot and the canter. So I really liked that. And he probably reminded me of my two very, very important wild stallions from the Kaimanawa Rangers, Argo and Major. 
So I think mm. that helped as well. Can you describe one technique that that you do that might help us differentiate your style from the other horsewomen that were there? Uh, definitely. Your English is all about contact, and it's incredibly different to your Western. Mm-hmm. I wasn't prepared to have somebody go in there and chase me to get the forward movement. I think I used my pen wrangler on a little stallion to canter in front of me to help uh, encourage Kentucky to go forward because it was all about becoming his friend and making him want to work for me than forcing him to work for me. And that's something, uh, finishing Road to the Horse and him going into quarantine and coming over to New Zealand, that's really stood in his favour is that he wants to please me so much now. He just enjoys being worked and he's always keen to give everything a go. That's great. What are you going to eventually do with Kentucky? I dislocated my shoulder at Road to the Horse on the first day. So right, I that made so, news. <laughs> yeah, so that made things a little bit difficult, that's for sure. <laughs> so I had surgery uh, for that eight and a half weeks ago now. That was absolutely fantastic. It's made a huge difference since having that. And I was been lucky enough, I gave Kentucky his 29th to 31st ride just this week. So that's as many rides as he's had since he's including Road to the Horse and being back in New Zealand. He's had a nice Uh, vacation. (laughs) He is. He gets lots of holidays, and we keep remembering that he is only three and a half years old, and Road to the Horse should have put a huge amount of pressure on him, but he's come out of that better than ever. Great. And one of the things that was really interesting to see was your clinic at Road to the Horse. You talked about learning about your horse and understanding their physicality, and I was really fascinated with the bodywork demonstration that you did at Road to the Horse. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I was asked to put a clinic on and teach a horse to jump in my clinic. And I was like, well, most Road to the Horse fans are Western and most of them will never have to jump. So could I do a sore horse clinic instead? And I was lucky that there were two very, very sore horses at Dan James Clinic the weekend before. And I asked if I could use them as my guinea pigs uh, at Road to the Horse. And they both allowed me to. And having one of them was a three-year-old unbroken mare that every time the owner went to saddle, she would bronk and buck. She had turned up at the clinic questioning what had she missed in her training program that was causing the buck. And the other horse, the girl absolutely loved, didn't want to sell, but she was too scared to ride it because it had bucked to train her off and bucked her off too many times. And so they were at the course, obviously, for their horsemanship skills. Mm-hmm. I always believe that there's a reason the horse does everything, that it doesn't wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to be naughty today, Uh, that it pulled back or it rolled the wrong way or fell over or something happened to it that's caused it to react the way it is today. And so the two horses I use, I like to do what we call a before and after. I rode the horse that backed and I lunged the horse in its saddle, obviously, and it backed on the lunge and cross-cantered and struggled. And then we obviously, I treat them. And at Road to the Horse in that clinic, you obviously don't have as much time uh, as you would like to put in. So we treated the horse and then we do an after. It's pretty neat when you get a hugely dramatic change uh, in 45 minutes on two horses that previously were bucking and nobody could ride. And to this day, the owner's absolutely enjoying. Oh, that's wonderful. Because there was a quite a substantial difference that you did. You worked through those horses quickly, like you said, but the difference was... It was really amazing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, it's it's that's what's so rewarding about what I do is yes, that horses have mental issues and there's a reason why they do it, but quite often it's caused by a physical something that's happened. And to be able to be able to fix that and then give those owners homework to say, hey, this is what you need mm-hmm. to do going forward. And then I've returned to America a few times since and, and had clinics and particularly seen that three-year-old colored mare, which we have broken in uh, every time I've gone back to America. And for her to be able to send me videos of her trotting and cantering it down the beach in a saddle and bridle <laughs> with huge smile on her face, that's a pretty rewarding feeling. Oh, that is. So, Vicky, would you say that we can lessen those painful experiences for horses with proper warm-up? Definitely, and, and that's where the horsemanship side comes in, is if you've got a sore horse and lunging it, you're definitely going to warm its body up so it can cope better. Quite often, if you were to hop on a horse cold and it has got sore issues, it's pinching through the shoulders or it's out on the hind leg, that horse is going to react. And where that horsemanship and that lunging comes into the purpose is that it warms the horse up and gets the horse to move through its body so it can cope with what we're wanting it to do. But what I'm trying to do is it's creating an awareness of why is my horse sore and what can I do to help manage and and help that horse. Then your recommendation would be every time we ride to do that lunging, observe our horse and see if there are any. Yeah, well, I I don't lunge my horse. I just, the before and after that I did at the road to the horse was to show the dramatic effect that before and that after and that you can solve it that quickly as part of our grooming process we run our hands over our horses bodies every day and if there's a little spasm when it reacts to the pressure or a muscle twitch we would massage that out uh, and i believe hands-on is incredibly important uh, like we have mm-hmm. massage covers we have lasers we use all of that but i believe having the hands-on picks up every little thing before it becomes uh, if I leave it for six months, that particular injury, you get your muscles going to spasm and your issues really start to develop. Your horses work every day. Do you find that this is still important for the recreational rider who may only ride their horse on the weekend? Definitely. I get uh, like in my clinic in America, my saw horse clinic, a lot of those riders were at my clinic. And they were the ones that were a little bit too scared to hop on their horse because it might buck at the cantor or get anxiety problems when it leaves its friends and can they go home can they massage that particular part of the horse can they rehab it as such so that the horse is happy and they can really enjoy that friendship and partnership and have riding opportunities that are fun without that stress i did notice that that uh, you did a, a zuzu commercial with your sisters on the 10ws project I had no idea what that was. I was wondering if you would explain that to us. So with my show jumpers, uh, they're taught to jump over the back of a car or back of a ute, a truck body. Mm -hmm. My show jumpers have jumped over the top of other horses or cows or cars before. Uh, And that's normal. And then we also have a couple of horses that stand on the back of an Isuzu (laughs) for different opportunities. (laughs) We like to keep things a little different. You're the oh, fun. <laughs> evil Knievel of horse jumpers. Yeah, I believe uh, the horses have amazing trust in you when you believe in them and they believe in you. And it's amazing what they'll do for us. Like you said, the show jumping in New Zealand is the season runs right up to the 2018 Road to the Horse competition will you be going to the 2018 road to the horse so this year obviously i've just had surgery and i'm not supposed to ride uh, properly until january 
Mm-hmm. And then the surgeon has said, I'm not allowed to start or break in any horses before Road to the Horse just because of the risk of injury. So this mm-hmm. year there is no practice before Road to the Horse. So <laughs> it'll be very, very interesting. Our big Southern Hemisphere competition is the weekend before Road to the Horse. But this year I will be missing it to fly to America early. I got it. For those who weren't able to see Road to the Horse, what's your process as far as the three days go? What do you try to do on the first day, the second day, and obviously the the last day? So obviously the first day, it's all about the first touch, the first halter, teaching it to lead, introducing obstacles. I like to hop on the back the first day and get them walking forward just in a halter bareback. Um, I mm-hmm. believe that's incredibly important. I start all my horses here, halter bareback. And normally we have a walk, trot, canter around the hills uh, before they would go into a saddle. I always check that they've got no wolf teeth or teeth issues before they'd have a bit put into them. And obviously this year at Road to the Horse, I dislocated my shoulder trying to push off Kentucky and I just rotated it the wrong way. So it kind of changed my plan a little bit. I spent probably more time leading him, teaching him to lead than I would normally have, uh, which I think was an incredibly important part of the final on the third day. So just to be clear, you didn't dislocate your shoulder falling off or him jerking back. You were doing a very simple maneuver and it just popped out? Yeah, so I have uh, previously dislocated that shoulder in a, a show jumping fall. And the day before I dislocated my shoulder at Road to the Horse, I had tweaked my shoulder but didn't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. And then I went to some, the crowd started clapping. I just stopped Kentucky and he threw his head and I went to push from his wither. And as I swung my leg over it, it dropped out of the socket. Yeah, it wasn't ideal. No. <laughs> yeah, so that kind of changed the plan a little bit for day two. Like we were up every hour, icing the shoulder, working the muscles to keep it going. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, you have a meeting with the judges and with Tootie and they, we're like, we completely understand if you're not going to continue. And I was like, no, I haven't come all the way from New Zealand to quit. Right. <laughs> we'll go into that round pen. And it's quite amazing that as soon as you enter that round pen, everything kind of, you forget everything. You go in there for that one reason. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've always been able to do uh, into the competition ring, that no matter what's wrong, that you can walk into that ring and that's where your focus goes. And so that second day, I wasn't sure if I would be getting back on him. Obviously, to be able to jump up on his back and not use mm-hmm. that shoulder and that hand like I would need to. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I walked into that round pen, it was like, no, this is what we're here for. I spent time again getting him to lead because he wasn't naturally the most confident horse. And like next year, I don't think I would choose him again. I would go definitely for a more confident horse, outgoing horse. And But I think I was on the first uh, person on his back again, just in a halter bareback. And then that second day, it's all about knowing that the third day really tests your horse in so many ways that I couldn't get a show jumper around that course at 2D Designs. That is <laughs> that technical. <laughs> it's that artificial. And you're doing it in front of a huge stadium of screaming, cheering fans. And for a horse that it's the third session you've ever worked with that horse, that's pretty amazing. And so that second day was all about getting forward momentum under saddle and then cramming as many obstacles as I could in <laughs> to get him confident and trusting me. And then leaving that arena knowing, hoping, hoping that you've done enough. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, when you said you would pick a more confident 
horse. You've got a lot of experience looking at a lot of different horses from the wild horses to the domestic horse. What would an average person notice between in a, in a remuda like that, between a confident horse and a, and a less than confident horse? Yeah, it was definitely there were the two horses I initially had picked out just from the photos uh, before I even turned up to rode to the horse. And then watching them interact, they were my favorites. Uh, they were the first ones up to the outside of the arena. They were picking up the banners and very playful, very bold and natural leaders. Mm-hmm. And Kentucky wasn't. He was in the middle of the herd. But just the way he moved made me pick him. But as soon as you left him in the round pen, he wasn't naturally curious in any way. If you looked at the other competitors' horses, they were picking up the tarpaulin, they were wandering around, they were drinking out of their water buckets. Not once when I left Kentucky did he move his feet. And so that was very interesting to observe, that he didn't wander up to the water bucket, he didn't go and look at any of his obstacles in that arena. So that's something we really had to create for him is teaching him that try and getting him to believe in himself that he could go outside his boundaries a little. Right. Obviously, you do the competition, so you must have certain feelings about it. But what's your opinion about trying to start a horse in three days like Road to the Horse? Yeah, it's definitely a huge amount of pressure, huge amount of atmosphere for any horse to be able to take in. But knowing uh, little Kentucky and how well he's gone past that has been quite incredible. Uh, Obviously, he went back to Dan James uh, to sit in the paddock until he went into quarantine after the competition. And I turned up for two days before he went into quarantine. I jumped on his back and it was like he hadn't forgotten anything. I taught him to go bridleless in the round pen and then the arena on those two days, spending no more than 15, 20 minutes with him each day. He could walk, trot, turn, stop and rein back with absolutely no rope, no halter, nothing on him. So for him to come out from that competition after that amount of pressure and give me everything was pretty amazing. And I've just watched our New Zealand uh, four-day competition on Colt starting. It's quite amazing how well every horse progressed and went throughout that competition. I I watched a lot of the 2017 Road of the Horse videos, and there's just a lot of like promo pieces And it looked to me like you might have made an adjustment on Kentucky, I think on his neck during the competition. What did you see and why did you feel he needed an adjustment? So Kentucky was very reactive off the halter. So anytime you put contact on him, his first reaction was to throw his head and block. Uh, And it was the same for the bridle and the side pull. He was just very, very sensitive throughout that and to me, he was jammed up through the pole and the shoulders. And ideally, if I hadn't of dislocated my shoulder, I would have continued to go and adjust them more. Mm-hmm. So when I went back after quarant- when we put him in quarantine, I did. I was lucky enough to be able to go over his entire body and sort out all his issues. But I want a horse that when I start them is happy and confident in his body so that we don't create any issues. For him to be so reactive of the contact was telling me he was stuck and jammed up through the pole. He also had uh, cap issues, compacted caps, which was why the pressure on his nose he would react to, which as soon as the competition was finished, we put a hand in his mouth and had a feel of them, and the dentist uh, sorted those once he arrived back in New Zealand. But it's any horse that we start, if I start a horse that's pinching in the shoulders or the uh, wither, 
I don't want to teach him to be jammed up and roller coast or buck under saddle when I teach him to canter. I want a horse that moves out freely through his body. So to me, it's incredibly important if there is an issue going on that I can then go, okay, let's fix it. Let's make our horse as comfortable as possible and eliminate any future issues. We saw your video of the um, horse adjustment clinic. And first thing John and I went and did was go to the, the hands down the horses and see if we got any spasms or reactions. Yeah, and it's quite amazing how much pressure I can put on. I think I, I used Kentucky as a guinea pig on the weekend, so I had a sore horse clinic, an extremely sore reactive horse, and then we used Kentucky as a horse that shows no reaction at all, no muscle spasm, no reaction, no twitch, and it didn't matter how much pressure I put on each of his muscles, he mm-hmm. stays relaxed and happy and there's not even a muscle spasm. And that's how every horse should ideally be. And he's a horse of optimum health and condition now. And and the fact that he's mentally and physically sound throughout his body. And that's something that I like to have with every horse I start, whether it's a a break-in or a horse I start or a top show jumper. And will you be doing a sore horse clinic at the 2018 Road to the Horse? I definitely will. Well, it sounds like you've had a a busy year and you've got (laughs) a busy year down under us. Yeah. We wish you the Best of luck next year, and thanks for joining us. Is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, no, definitely. Thank you so much for having a chat to me. If anyone is interested in following my videos or what I do, my Vicki Wilson Facebook page, and we've also got a website going live at Christmas time, which will be exciting. Great. And that will have the schedule of your clinics in the U.S.? Yeah, we'll have a schedule of the clinics. We'll have videos before and after case studies throughout the world, too, because the clinics are going worldwide next year. Excellent. You've got to be pretty strong the way you manhandle those legs. <laughs> yeah, it is, it's not so much strength. It is more uh, technique, but definitely right. trying to pick up the back legs, there is a bit of strength there involved. And hang on to them, yeah. yeah. And how long did it take you to learn that technique? We've only ever been able to afford dangerous or problem horses from a very young age. So it was going through the horse and going, is it your foot balance? Is it saddle fit, broken splint, wolf tooth? And trying to eliminate what the issues are. And I've been training under a back person now for the last six, seven years and then adding techniques of my own. And uh, just I watch and study everybody that I can from farriers to vets to uh, back people. And do you plan on doing a book or a video about Yes, we have. Uh, we'll have a book coming out next year, and we'll have different videos on case studies, and then we will start clinics in the future for training people. Well, I'll put all the links to uh, your contact in the show notes, and we really appreciate you joining us on the World Podcast. But wonderful! Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to see that Vicky is going to be competing in the 2018 Road to the Horse. <laughs> Should make it an interesting affair. Thanks to Vicky for taking time out of her busy schedule to spend some time talking to us about her experiences. I'll have all the links to Vicki in the show notes at woepodcast.com. And you can visit woepodcast.com and sign up for our emails to stay up to date. If you have a suggestion for a guest or a comment, email john at woepodcast.com. And you can use the Apple Podcast app to subscribe to the Woe Podcast and you'll never miss an episode. You can also subscribe on Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. They are all free, and they're all on WoePodcast.com. The Woe Podcast is produced by John and Renee Hare with support from you, our listeners. 
If you would like to support the show, visit woepodcast.com and click on the Patreon button. Thanks again for listening and sharing our podcast with your friends and riding buddies. And until next time, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. Perfect. I think that sounded better. Yeah, I do too. Okay.